Welcome to the Soul Talks podcast, where we equip pastors, leaders, and other men and women in ministry to thrive with Jesus in their life and leadership. Now let's join Bill and Christy Galtier, doctors in psychology, spiritual directors, and founders of Soul Shepherding. Hey friends, welcome to Soul Talks. This is Bill and Christy Galtier, and we're interviewing our good friend Brian Steele. He is a uh, community life pastor at Christ the King Church, and he's the author of The Kingdom Field Guide. And uh, we got to know Brian and his lovely wife, Katie, in our Soul Shepherding Institute. So we've been hanging out on retreat together and uh, in our Spiritual Direction Certificate program, and it's been fun to get to know the two of you better and, and your ministry and, and your work. Uh, so glad to be with you, Bill and Christy. It has been, uh, soul shepherding for Katie and I has been huge. And we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that later in the podcast, but it's been a huge gift for us. So just glad to be with you guys. Yeah. So uh, your book on the uh, Kingdom Field Guide is uh, very fun. I got to endorse that. And so I got an early early read on your book going mm. through that. And uh, tell us about this whole thing about you, you stubbed your toe on, on treasure. Of course, this is coming from the Matthew 13 miniature parable, uh, Matthew 13, 44. But you've got a unique way of describing that, and it fits in with your own personal journey. Yeah, I have. Um, I mean, there's. I see my, my story in three different parts. One part is... Uh, is involved in really abusive um, uh, church uh, leadership and, and, a, and a bad church experience. Then there was this part that was want, it felt like wandering the desert and uh, just very lost. And I came to this point where I was just thinking there has to be more to faith than some kind of religious slavery or a wandering. And so it's sort of tracking the Israel story of being in Egypt and then being in the desert. And, and I really was asking, what's the promised land experience of faith? Like, isn't faith supposed to be good? Isn't there supposed to be something that has to do with flourishing and thriving in your relationship with Jesus? And uh, it wasn't until I actually was reading the parable of the hidden treasure and it stopped me dead in my tracks. And Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a man that finds hidden treasure and then buries it, goes and sells everything and buys the field. And, um, and that really stopped me dead in my track. Cause number one, I had no idea what the kingdom of God actually is. That was so confusing. It wasn't part of any of my background. And then number two, it was kind of like I, I was approaching Jesus as if he was a used car salesman. Like, is this deal really true. I'm looking at the window sticker and it's saying that his kingdom is going to cost me everything, but is it worth it? And what exactly is that kingdom that makes it worth it? So those two questions, what's the kingdom and why is it worth everything? That put me on an eight-year journey of, of reading the parable of the hidden treasure and meditating on it. And the kingdom field guide came out of that, uh, out of that journey. So let's just make sure everybody hears this. So Ed, Eight years on one verse in the Bible. Yes. <laughs> and I still feel like I'm barely scratching the surface. I've found that the whole story of Scripture gets packed into that tiny little 
parable and it's like a clown car it, it the, the story of scripture spills out of it and and i still feel like i'm just at the tip of the iceberg but that's i think that's how good god's kingdom really is yeah it's what the journey is about discovering so, how good it is so good brian and for our listeners here You've read Journey of the Soul. You've heard Bill talk about it. You're talking about a wall experience here that you ran into of hitting the wall. And thank you for doing the work of persevering, leaning in, and really seeking and examining and working out your faith with fear and trembling in Scripture. And then going into that that inner journey work where you really begin to dig deep and Mm -hmm. find out, well, what is it that I that I really treasure. What do I say? What's my life say the treasure is? Right. What what kingdom am I living in? And yeah. you did the work there of recognizing, well, what would it look like for me to step into Jesus and his kingdom, to yeah. respond to his message that the kingdom of God is really available to me? Right. Mm-hmm. That it's actually real. And so that's a big part of the premise of the book, that God's kingdom is what I call really real. Uh, it's more real than anything else because it's it's eternal. When everything else passes away, God's kingdom is going to remain. And that kingdom is open and available right now. And so I, be, I believe that when his kingdom comes, there's goodness in your life. There's beauty. There's thriving. There's flourishing. And that that's a mark of enjoying what he offers us in his under his rule and reign. Well, yes, yes to all of that. And yet some people might be saying, well, wait a second. I don't know about this. The, you know, I've experienced spiritual abuse in the church too. It doesn't look anything like that. What you just said, the kingdom of God is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what gets really confusing is we're in this in-between stage in history where there are two kingdoms that are operating at the same time. Uh, not just in the world, there is a kingdom of darkness in the world, but also inside of the church, there's two kingdoms that are operating. And then what's even more difficult, inside my own heart, in my own life, there's two kingdoms that are operating. There's the remnants of the kingdom of darkness that are still present, and I can uh, I can live into that if I choose, or there's the, the new kingdom of Christ that's also available. And so it's confusing a lot of fronts and we're constantly faced both with uh, the remnants of darkness and the new creation under Christ's kingdom. And we have to struggle through it. It's definitely a struggle. There is a war going on, and we're, we're in the middle of that. Right. And so you've experienced that personally, Brian, just in your own recovery from wounds and uh, spiritual abuse and so forth. So yeah. let's uh, share with our listeners your story and how uh, the Lord has met you in that. Yeah, well, I, I grew up in a Christian church, but in the eighth grade, I, I, I washed my hands of it and then really wandered uh, very far uh, got involved in, in drugs and in a party scene. And uh, I was very interested in, in sort of the, the dark occultic kind of side of, of the spiritual realm. And that led me to a very dark, dangerous place uh, that at one point I was just absolutely desperate. And I cried out, Lord, save me. 
And the next day I was going to school at UC Santa Barbara. Uh, I was a sophomore. And the very next day after I prayed, Lord save me, there was a, there were some people that were preaching open air on campus and sharing the gospel. And I was like, wow, the Lord just answered my prayer. And, and they invited me to a Bible study and I joined that and I committed my life to Christ and, and I changed my whole life around. I changed my, my friend group and I went from, I left behind sort of the, the party scene and those dark things that I was curious about. And eventually I moved in with the people in this church, but it turned out that this church was a cult. They were Christian, they were Bible-based, but were really abusive in their use of authority. They were very controlling and manipulative. And I didn't really know uh, because I was in a desperate spot and I was desperate for life change. And so when they initially offered friendship and warmth and a, and a path of discipleship, I thought, well, this is God uh, answering my prayer. And uh, I was involved in the group for three years, and, and, and the process of being under that kind of control and authority that's abusive is one of becoming less and less of a person, more and more of a cog. And, and my personality was slowly changing. And in, in, um, in churches that are unhealthy, you are a square peg being driven into a round hole. And I was becoming less and less Brian and just a cookie cutter of this, the image that this, this group is trying to create and form. And so I was involved in that for three years. And meanwhile, my parents are very worried and very concerned because they saw this radical change in my life. They ended up having to hire somebody to deprogram me in order to get me out of the, out of the group. So explain uh, that, that, the deprogramming. So you're like in, embedded in this community and in your experience of things, you've, you've left the party scene and an empty yeah. life. You've come into a community, you've, you've prayed to receive Christ and yeah. it's, it's, it was a real prayer. God came into your life, yeah. you were born again. So you're, you're having experiences of forgiveness and joy. Yeah. And being, and initially you're feeling accepted by people and there's, there's mm -hmm. a lot of good feelings there. You're not realizing how much you're being controlled, right. how much you're actually losing yourself in, in this cult. Yeah. So because it's happening so, so slowly and because of this big transition in your life that, that for the most part, was such a, a wonderful transition. Right. So how do you, how do you separate out the, the cult part from the, 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 the Christ uh, center there? And so it's very confusing Except yes. you maybe weren't confused at the time as much as you were looking back on it because you didn't realize that right. you, were tra you, you thought this was wonderful. You thought this was a community. You thought this was new life in Christ. And yes. we're, we're, we're serving God and we're sharing the gospel with people. And so you had a lot of positive feelings that were like stronger than the, the, the feelings of being controlled and, and mistreated, at least at first, it seems. Yeah, yeah. initially, it's all of the positive, wow, this is great, and, and God has answered my prayer. Um, but then um, the way groups like this work, and even, I will say, any abusive organization or system, even uh, domestic violence relationships work on the same way, and they all use fear and guilt and shame on the one hand as punishments. So I'm afraid to leave the group because, for example, in our group, there was somebody who ended up leaving the group 
died in a plane crash a, a week later. And the message was, see, look what happens when you leave. So there's a fear that's keeping me paralyzed and keeping me in place. But then there's also a constant demand to do more and go to more meetings and do more open air preaching and go knock on more doors. And that that demand in my mind, I believe that God is telling me to do this. And if God's telling me to do something, then when I fall short, I'm not disobeying the, the group leaders. I'm disobeying God. And that creates a sense of overwhelming guilt and shame. And when you're living in guilt and shame and fear, you can be very easily controlled. But on the other hand, you think, I'm in a group that's special. There's nobody else like us on the face of the earth. We have the unique revelation of Jesus and everybody else is compromised or deceived by Satan. So there's this sense of privilege and I'm an insider. And that is also a drug that's addictive. And so that whole combination leads to control that's very difficult to break. Yeah, and so you were a young man at the time, and so yeah. you weren't realizing what was happening. Right. Yeah. I thought I was following Jesus. And in a sense, in many ways, I really was. In some ways, I really was developing spiritual disciplines and growing in a prayer life and engaging in Scripture. That's what makes it very confusing and difficult, is you could say, well, this must be of God because look at the fruit. Right. And so that, that's what we tend to do when we're in a situation of yeah. not only abuse, but even more commonly of dysfunction that will sort of justify what is uh, unloving or unhealthy based yeah. on fruit that we're seeing that seems to be so good. Yeah. But yet in the Christian life, the ends don't justify the means that's right. where there is good fruit. If, that's right. if the means are not respectful and kind yeah. And the process is not honoring to Jesus, then there, there's a rotten apple here. That's right. It sounds like the form of religion that was very legalistic and had mm -hmm. an earning mentality to it. Yes. You needed to earn favor or bonus points with God by doing these disciplines or these That's right. of service. Yeah. And it, one of the other dynamics is you get cut off from all your outside friends and family. So they would say things like, well, your parents and your other friends, they are, uh, they're deceived. So you need to stop communication with them, sever those relationships. So now my full source of social approval and love is coming from the group. And then that gets turned up and down based on my performance. Mm. So if I miss a meeting, for example, we had, I don't know, something like a dozen meetings a week. I miss wow, a meeting. A dozen meetings a week. Oh yeah. Yeah. That and 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 this is hyper busy, hyper spiritual. If you miss a meeting, the social control or the, the social uh, approval and love gets turned down. And it's very obvious. There's shunning that happens. Mm -hmm. And because I have no other outside source of approval or love because I've isolated myself and I'm fully immersed in the group, then that little turning down of the temperature, and sometimes it's an eyebrow, right? Mm. A raised eyebrow. If I don't have approval from the group leaders, I don't have approval from God in my mind. 
So in addition to having so much commitment, you're, you're physically tired. You are in a place of emotional and psychological vulnerability. And it's a form of religious slavery. Yeah. And people often just literally break down, walk away because they physically can't take the demands. And then they've, they think that they're leaving God himself when they walk away. Yeah, and that's part of the redemption story in your life. Is mm. You didn't do that. Yeah. You didn't turn your back on God. Yeah. You you did the work of still yeah. seeking God and, and His yeah. truth and finding Jesus, the treasure. So talk to us more about how God led you in this redemptive work. So I was being sent from Santa Barbara to a, a college campus in, in Bellingham, Washington, Western Washington University. The plan was for the cult to send me to recruit college students off of that campus. So I was now going to go help plant another branch of this cult. And my parents knew that something was up. They were so worried about me. They knew that I was in a group that was wrong and bad. They staged what's known as an involuntary intervention, which is very controversial. And I'm not advocating one way or the other for that, but it was, I was basically kidnapped and they hired a, uh, a deprogrammer. That's somebody who's an expert in cults and he goes around the world and he gets people out of groups. And I was, I was held for a week with bodyguards in order to convince me that I was in a group that was bad. And it took mm. about a week for me to be able to start critically thinking again. Because wow. part of the result of the group dynamic is I stopped being able to think for myself. I'm no longer able to make decisions for myself. I've become a robot in a sense. So it took about a week in order to understand that the group I was in was really destructive. So after that, I got sent to a rehab center in Ohio called Wellspring for Cult Victims. And I am so fortunate that I was able to immediately get that kind of help. It was a group of, of professionally trained uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and pastors that understand the dynamics. It's not just about the spiritual aspect but what's happening underneath mm -hmm. let's dig below the surface psychologically about how that happened to me and um and then there's just so much baggage to unpack and uh, but being able to to understand that was a huge gift because most people walk away and they never understand what happened to them so and even uh, if they do get out of the cult they, they don't really heal very well from that's right it because they, they don't do that work of, of understanding that's right the, the therapy work that you did the prayer work all, all that that deep yeah. programming the inner journey work we call it in journey that's right really dig yeah look at some of the unconscious things or some of the past things from our lives that yeah. are operating unconsciously to make us vulnerable yeah. true to the inner journey your story is illustrating that you you really needed a major break from that cult like yes what, the implication of your story is that you couldn't have gotten free at least at that time as, as a college student by just continuing in the cult but then now and again having a conversation with a yeah. christian who pastor or leader who was yeah. wise and discipling you you were just so brainwashed so so yes. programmed into the mentality of that cult and so 
focused on what seemed to be good about that, that you, 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 just, you didn't even know what was happening to you. That's right. And it's extremely difficult to leave on your own. So Robert Lifton, he was a psychologist that studied thought reform in re-education camps in, Ch- in communist China in the, um, the 1950s. He identified these eight criteria of what he called thought reform, what we would call brainwashing or thought control. It turns out those eight criteria are the same dynamics in a domestic violent abusive marriage that one spouse will use those same dynamics that cults use to control a spouse. So we'll look at a domestic violent marriage and say, why doesn't he just leave? Why doesn't she just leave? Well, there's a whole host of dynamics that keep a person stuck. And then it scales upward. Actually, it can be used nationally. We go, how could somebody ever think that it's a good idea to drive a plane into the Twin Towers. Well, it's not just that they had a great idea, but they were under a system of control and manipulation that works on national levels sometimes, that works on organizational levels inside and outside of the church. It's extremely powerful, and it's, it's not simple. And getting out isn't as easy as just choosing to leave. That's Uh, right. And so your story is so important, so important for people that have had the experience that you have, people that know people, loved ones are in an experience like this. Brian, thank you. You're welcome. After I left the cult, I just wanted to research as much as I can about cults. I really, I spent about 10 years of, of digging and learning as much as I can. Eventually I became a resource to other people. I taught classes at churches and schools and, and how to avoid some of these situations. But at the same time, there was a lot of pain around faith for me. Mm -hmm. And so I entered into what I consider a desert time in my life around faith. And that I was going to church on Sundays, but the, the spiritual disciplines were very difficult for me because there's these remnants of the old practices, which still had pain attached to them. And so that wilderness, I think, lasted almost 20 years, 20 years of kind of wandering. It really felt like uh, of dryness, of distance from God. I felt very disintegrated as a person. So mm. my, my work life was disintegrated from my church life, was disintegrated from my home life. Uh, in 2008, I got divorced. I think that in part was part of a consequence from some of that disintegration. In 2009, I feel like the Lord grabbed me by the lapels and brought me really close and said, Brian, I just want you to be really close to me. Mm. And it was so kind and firm. Kind and, and firm. Kind and firm. It was something so tender and precious, and yet it was it was yes. resting to you. This was a father who loves his son so much. He was inviting me to stop the wandering. It was at that time, 2009, I started uh, practicing daily spiritual disciplines again. And what I had found was that the pain of the, of the old practices had receded. And 
I found life. I found a new joy and it felt like I had kind of left a wilderness experience in the promised land. You know, if Israel's story was, was slavery, then wandering in the wilderness, the promised land was this place of flourishing. It's a garden. It was overflowing milk and honey. It was a place of goodness. And that goodness was intended to spill over to the, all the rest of the world. And I began to experience some of the goodness of a life with Jesus. It was shortly after that when I discovered that the life of faith doesn't just have to be a drudgery or a wandering, but can actually be thrilling and deeply enjoyable and deeply beautiful and also fun and laughter filled. That was so much the kindness of the Lord that brought me to that place. Yeah, you came alive in God's love yeah. in a whole new way. The experience of feeling accepted and being in this increasing uh, warm-hearted intimacy with God changed your, your heart, it changed your, your wanter. And so now you, you wanted to do spiritual yeah. disciplines and you had a, a way of doing them that was relationally yes. rather than uh, legalistic and performance-based and trying to please a, a cult leader or somebody That's else. That's right. So that was my early 40s. It was maybe the first time in my life I really enjoyed being Brian. Wow. I discovered that I liked me, mm. that I enjoyed being in my own skin and really got thankful for who God made me to be. And I felt like Brian for the first time in my life. The psalmist says, the Lord brought me out into a spacious place. Hmm says it with a great, great smile, great, great yeah. joy. And that's the kind of thing that the man who found treasure in the field in Matthew yeah. 13, 44 felt. Uh, just overcome with joy. Yes. To, uh, discover the, the reality of God's rule that was kind. That yes. He wasn't just in a physical field. He was in a spiritual field. Yeah. And I think, Bill, that, that spacious place, I think that's really key. If we're going, what's the difference between a healthy church or a healthy spirituality and an unhealthy? The unhealthy spirituality, you're cramped and confined and small. Yeah. The life that Christ has for us is wide, expansive, lots of room to, to roam and explore and discover and delight, and including with who I am as a person. I got to find out that I love how the Lord made me. And I got to just discover <laughs> how far I can go with how he made me and, and how much joy there can be in that. You're and, articulating here uh, a real freedom in this life in Christ. Freedom yes. of life in his kingdom and the joy of that and then you're living now in, in the model of journey, this whole spirit-led ministry, where you're overflowing yeah. all that God has, has done and given. You're, you're a wounded healer here with your story, yeah. using your very wounds to be able to be a place of ministry to others here now as an author and as a, a community adult pastor here at Christ the King Church. And I'm also so thankful for that journey. I'm very thankful for my cult experience. I'm very thankful for the the wilderness. I'm thankful for where the Lord has brought me. I'm so grateful. And um, that would be my encouragement for people. 
Even after my divorce, it was one of the most difficult periods of my life, a period of great darkness. The image I had was I'm in this darkness, and yet there is a light that's very far off. And that's the place God is bringing me to where I am grateful for my life and I am uh, brought through the difficult time and I love my life. And I love the experience of being Jesus follower. And I knew God was going to bring me to that place. I didn't know how long it was going to be. I didn't know if it'd be decades or years, but I just knew eventually he's going to bring me to that place of thriving. And that's my encouragement, I think, for people. For you who are listening, uh, a great takeaway from uh, Brian's story here is just to keep putting one foot in front of the other. When you're in a, a difficult situation, uh, your story, a cult experience, you who are listening might be uh, a dysfunctional family, might be stress in, in, in your job or in your uh, ministry role, many different challenges that we have. But what your story illustrates is if we just keep putting one foot in front of the other, that that's when we stub our foot on treasure. Mm-hmm. It's good. <laughs> ah, here's the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Here's I like that. Joy of life. I, I I found it, and God was there all along, but I I wasn't yeah. able to uh, to feel it or, or to experience it or to 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 really relish it. Yeah, yeah. So two years ago, Katie and I started with Soul Shepherding, attended uh, our first retreat for the institute. I was on a sabbatical, and and what was interesting for that sabbatical, I was at the healthiest place I've ever been in my life, in many ways physically and socially and spiritually and relationally. I felt like I was healthier than I've ever been. And yet that place of health allowed me to do some very deep work that needed to be done. And the soul shepherding retreat was so important of peeling back one layer of the onion that I couldn't have peeled back when I was unhealthy. And we're so, both Katie and I are doing this work together, are so thankful. So I feel like in the last two years, if there's a growth chart, you know, the kid puts his back up against the wall and the parent comes, puts the tick mark. Yeah. I think I've grown more in the last two years than I have in my whole life. That's so fun. Love those growth spurts. It's been so great. What's challenging is I feel like, you know, so I'm picturing the middle school kid that grew three inches over the summer. I feel actually a little bit of clumsiness Uh that comes from that growth. It's like, wow, I can live in a different way. I can take strides in a way that I haven't before, but I'm trying to acclimate and now be comfortable in these new shoes that are all of a sudden three sizes bigger. Yeah. And um, that's been really interesting that that growth has brought a kind of clumsiness that I now have to live into and become accustomed to. And I'm super thankful for it, though. Yeah, you're growing into your your new identity. A big part of this transition for you, this uh, healing, this redemption in your story is Sabbath rest. I'd like you to make a few comments about that before we, we conclude here, because Sabbath is the rhythm of rest and rhythm of life is a big part of your story. And yeah. it's not a, a coincidence that you really deepened in that practice mm. through going on a sabbatical. In Soul Shepherding, when we coach pastors and missionaries and other leaders and servants on sabbatical, we, we, we tell them, you know, really simply a sabbatical is just stringing together Sabbath days, days yeah. in which you, you, don't, you don't work, you're, you're not productive, you're not filling it up with projects, you're, 
you're resting in God, you're worshiping in God, worshiping God, you're in a relational mode, maybe in places of beauty, uh, hopefully uh, reading some scripture, having some soul talks, uh, hopefully working with a spiritual director or a coach to do some of that inner journey work that you're Mm -hmm. modeling for us. And so it was on your sabbatical experience that, that you were doing this, this deeper work. Tell us more about what the, the Sabbath rest has meant for you and yeah. your, your journey. Yeah, well, I've been practicing a Sabbath day, a weekly Sabbath day, for about 12 years. And I think that discipline has influenced me more than any other spiritual discipline. I almost hesitate to say that because I think it actually has been more impactful even than scripture engagement and prayer. And so for me, since I'm a pastor and usually working weekends, my Sabbath day is, is, is Friday. And so Thursday night, it begins with a setting down of all the projects that are unfinished of turning over to the Lord, the relationships that aren't yet healed or that need restoration, those parts of me that are still broken and in process, all of my unfinished work, I hand it to the Lord and entrust it to him. And because Jesus is, holds all things together by the word of his power, he's, he can capably hold all of those things. So that allows me to have a full 24-hour day of delight. delight. And Sabbath for me is delight, savoring, enjoying, eating really good food, doing things that are fun, sleeping in late if I want to. Katie and I love being in the mountains, so going for a hike, that once a week, the image that we have is that that our Sabbath day is the garden, as in Genesis 1. It's a meeting place of heaven and earth, and we tend and keep that garden. We cultivate that one day, and in the garden, you remember the, the rivers, there were the four rivers that overflowed from Eden that brought the goodness and blessing of the whole rest to the rest of the world. And my Sabbath day, the goodness and blessing of that day overflows to the rest of my week. Uh, That's why Sabbath is called the first day, rather than the seventh day, which is the Jewish mindset, but the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's day, resurrection day, is the first day because we're we're resting in God, we're worshiping God, and then our our work, our ministry, all that we do flows out of that. That, That's what you're illustrating. I'm guessing that you're experiencing there as you enter into that rest, more ability to be present to Christ and his kingdom than the other days of the week. And probably right. more ability to be present to, to Katie and your, your kids and friends and, st- and stuff like yeah. that. We normally do our Soul Talks podcast first thing Monday morning, so we're still in Sabbath mode. And, yeah. And, and Hopefully, Bill's relational centers are still on, and, and the, the productive Bill hasn't started to, <laughs> to take over. Yeah, it's true. Even in, in creation, Genesis 1, Adam was created, and his first day, he was created on the sixth day, but his first day was a rest day. Yeah. His first full day of creation was a day of enjoyment with the Lord on the seventh day. It's a great way to answer that question when people say, well, where do you see that in the Bible that mm. the Sabbath is the first day? And that, that's one. That's of the right. Places. Yeah. And, and so for me, it is, um, it's such a gift because I think also what Sabbath is, is we're enjoying uh, the goodness and beauty of the age to come. We're ripping it from the future and enjoying it into the, in the present. Yeah. That that's what Sabbath is. 
It's enjoying what we're, we're hoping to get eventually for eternity, but we get to enjoy some of that eternity right now, every week, every week. Wow. <laughs> what a gift. Yeah, I wish you were listening. You could see Brian's face right now. <laughs> He's uh, beaming with joy. Yeah. That, that yeah. delight of the Sabbath day is, is in your soul and body yeah. right now. Yeah, and so when I went on my sabbatical, that was a two-month period. On day one, I was already able to rest. The first day, I and our whole theme for that two-month was delight, is because I had developed a discipline of delight in the 12 years leading up. So that when I got two months off, it was very easy to step into that. Yeah, you're we're f- further ahead than most pastors I work with. Uh, oftentimes when they get a sabbatical, they really haven't learned very well how to experience uh, Sabbath rest because the yeah. American culture and even our church culture is not very conducive to yeah. rest and uh, the idea we teach that ministry begins with rest it seems like yes. a foreign concept in the typical ways that we do church and spiritual growth and in the ways that we do our Christian work. And so, because you had years of practicing Sabbath, you actually yeah. brought that into your sabbatical. But for yeah. many people, when they go on sabbatical, that's where they actually learn how to rest. Right. And I have pastors tell me, like, I, I thought I was keeping a Sabbath, but until I, I took a sabbatical mm-hmm. and did it in the soul shepherding style of, of, of truly resting and having, having fun and being relational, like, like you illustrated, Brian, I, I didn't know that I really wasn't, really wasn't very rested. Mm-hmm. And it just yeah. t- took the, the, that deep soul training of day after day stringing together these Sabbath days yeah. of not working, not doing projects, not being productive, not running around on, on my Instagram trying to get more, more likes, not right. keeping up with all my email, not checking other churches or seeing right. how they're doing and what I can do better, not, not writing a book, not doing a big yard project in my house, right. And, right. and just ab- abiding in the Lord's presence and taking walks and enjoying loved ones and getting enough sleep and all, the, all these things that really make for the delight yeah. Sabbath, because we're experiencing and perpetuating that intimacy with God. Yeah. And I would even say, so I think delight is key for the Sabbath, because there's some days, if I'm being really honest, or some Sabbaths, I'm doing more numbing than delighting. I'll, I'll you know, spending, you know, like, there's a difference between watching a movie than binging yeah. Netflix, which becomes more numbing. And if you're numbing, then you're also numbing yourself to delight. So that's sort of my, my indicator is if I'm practicing a Sabbath, well, am I actually enjoying delight? Am I experiencing delight or am I just numbing? Yeah. Sometimes we're checking out, we're escaping it. And maybe if there's something good in that, it's that we're not, we're not overworking, we're not getting overstressed. And and so we're sort of detoxing in a way, but numbing out is not soul care. That's right. So I, I love your, your word for delight that just is like your, your uh, needle in the compass that helps mm-hmm. you gauge how, how well am I, am I deepening into this Sabbath rest? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, what a, a delight this has been, Brian, for mm. Christy and I to, to have this time with you and to share you with our listeners and in our Soul Shepherding community. And want to let all of you who are listening know that, that Brian has prepared a free gift for you that we'll have in the show notes. It's a, a very attractive resource, a short resource, just a few pages, but it's five tools to establish a kingdom-first culture. 
And this comes from his book, The Kingdom Field Guide. So all you got to do is click on the link in the show notes and you can get that. And that's going to really help you. Very practical, practical steps and really brings that uh, Matthew 13, 44 verse to life. That's, yeah. that's what we all want to be. We want to be like, like that man or could have been mm. a woman who found herself in a field and stubbed her toe on treasure. Yeah, And that's it's like, it. wow, in, in all, all, all my joy of discovering this treasure of life with Jesus in the Father's world, I'm going to sell everything else. Yeah. I, I just want to uh, be in, in the Lord's realm and uh, mm. serving Him and doing His will. Yeah, but Brian, thank you. Brian, at the end of our conversation, our Soul Talk here, would you pray for our Soul Talk listeners? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, friends who are listening, I just want to pray from, uh, it's a passage from Daniel 7. The kingdoms and the dominion and all of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And Lord, we recognize that what you have for us is everything. You intend to give us everything that you've uh, uh, with the crown of everything being Jesus himself, that you gave your son, that what's in that treasure hidden in the field, Father, is you are giving us everything. That's a father's heart who loves his kid. So, Lord, I thank you that when you say, would you sell everything for the treasure hidden in the field, really what you're saying is, is son or daughter, if you give me everything that you have, I will give you everything that I have. Yes, thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I know right now there are people that this just seems impossible because of church wounds, because of deep, deep wounds. I'm asking right now for the person who uh, is feeling the pain of those wounds or abuse that you would speak into that person's heart, that you would say, take one step with me today. Jesus, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. Even in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. That you are restoring our soul. I pray, Lord, have mercy on us. Commit our lives to you, the lives of our listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Brian. So thankful for both of you. I'm so thankful for the ministry and the work you're doing. So, so grateful. Hey, great, great to be with you on Soul Talks. Say hi to Katie. All right, I will. Take care. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit us at soulshepherding.org.